Well, it's my privilege this morning to introduce to you our speaker this morning. His name is Nathan Alpert. He's the president of Hugo Ministries, and some of you may be familiar with the ministry because the last three Christmases we've been taking teams down to Rosarito, Mexico, doing ministry down there. And um, I want to tell you three things about Nathan. Number one, he lives in Montgomery, Alabama. The corollary to Montgomery, Alabama is he's a football fan, and he's in a very happy place in his life right now. If you don't know what that means, ask him afterwards. And number three, he's passionate about Jesus Christ and sharing the love of God around the world. He gets to do this about 40 times a year just in churches all over the United States, besides all the times he preaches down in Mexico. But the best way to find out about what Hugo Ministries is and what he's about is by checking out this video. In Mexico today, less than 7% claim to be believers, and even less than that, around 5% claim to have a personal relationship with God. Studies show that over 60% of Mexican families live below the international poverty line, and an estimated 30% are living in extreme poverty. This cycle of poverty that places orphan children in the care of the government, or even worse, the streets, has become a terrible problem. On the Baja Peninsula of Mexico, just a few miles south of San Diego, California, many communities exist where the lack of resources and opportunity have bent and broken the back of the local church in their efforts to shine God's light into a seemingly hopeless situation. Over and over in scripture, believers are called both to seek justice for the poor and to make disciples of all nations. Jesus passionately challenged his people to be actively engaged in loving people who the rest of the world seem to have forgotten. Here at Hugo Ministries, we take the command of Jesus to love very seriously. We have come to Mexico from all over the globe. We've come here to serve the local pastors and to come alongside them in their efforts to be the hands and feet of Jesus in their communities. We are engaged in helping local churches to meet the physical needs of the poor and the spiritual needs of the lost and hopeless. Through the partnership of God's people, we provide specialized training for pastors, God-centered orphan care, and focus outreaches in the communities. The Lord has blessed Hugo Ministries with a safe, clean, comfortable campus where we can accommodate your ministry team with excellence. We provide comfortable beds, hot showers, and great meals, as well as morning and evening chapels made up of contemporary worship and dynamic Bible teaching. Our goal is that you and your group are filled up physically and spiritually as you pour yourselves out in ministry. We would like to invite you to come and help us. Whether your group could come alongside a local pastor to construct a new home for a family in need or to conduct an outreach in his community, there are lots of opportunities that you can be a part of. Would you join us? If you're watching this video, there's a good chance that the Lord is calling you to be a part of His kingdom work 
here in Mexico. Our prayer is that you begin to ask the Lord right now, how would he want you to be involved with Hugo Ministries? We hope to see you soon here in Mexico. guys doing? John, thank you for that introduction. That was almost exactly like I wrote it. So it was almost perfect. Just keep working. You'll get there, brother. (laughs) Right before I got ready to come up, I opened my Bible and I found a little note from my wife and it it said KISS, K-I-S-S. And I thought, wow, what an amazing note from my wife that she wants to send a kiss with me all the way 2,300 miles from Alabama. But I flipped it over and it said, keep it short, stupid. So... (laughs) I promise you that within 90 minutes to 120 minutes, I'll get you out of here. I remember right as I was um, getting finished with seminary, my dad's been in ministry for 40 years. And I said, Dad, I'm going into ministry, and I want to get invited to come speak places. How can, I, how can I go and speak places? And he said, I want you to remember these two words, invite yourself. And so that's exactly what I did this morning. I invited myself. I asked John. John serves on the board of directors for Hugo Ministries. I asked him if he could come and let me speak, and the opportunity presented itself. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to come and speak. Like John said, my name's Nathan. I have the um, unbelievable privilege of leading Hugo Ministries. Hugo was founded in 1965 by a guy named Al Johnson right here in Southern California. How many of you guys remember 1965. Okay, so I was not alive in 1965. A lot of people ask me if I founded Hugo Ministries. My parents met in 1974, so it is physically impossible for me to have founded Hugo Ministries. We are in our 51st year of uh, evangelizing Mexico and making it possible for the church to make disciples. We're passionate about two things. We're passionate about making disciples in Mexico, and we're passionate about creating opportunities for the church to make disciples, both here and in Mexico. Um, Al Johnson, when he founded Hugo Ministries, he founded it as Youth Unlimited Gospel Outreach. And the whole idea was to take youth groups over into Mexico and let them live out their faith. We've come a long way since then. We had zero full-time employees. And as of 2016, we have the opportunity to lead a staff of 83 uh, people who are engaged in foreign missions on a day-to-day basis. That's all I want to say about Hugo because I haven't come here today to proclaim the gospel of Hugo. I've come here today to talk to you about the word mission. And when we hear the word mission, many of us define that word very differently. I find it interesting, actually, that we define it one way when we're in a Christian or biblical context, but many of us define that word mission differently when we're in a secular or business context. For the most part, when you hear the word mission... In a biblical or in a, in a church world context, you think of foreign missions done by missionaries on the mission field. And in, in some ways, it has this hand motion connected to it. <laughs> Other people. But interestingly enough, when we talk about the word mission in a business context, we think of an important assignment or our reason for being. Many, many organizations, uh, even, even Hugo, have a mission statement. 
And it's their reason for being. It's the, if you stick that organization and they bled, that's what they would bleed. It's their mission. It's their very important assignment. And so my goal today is not to talk about Yuga Ministries specifically, but it's to redefine the mission of the church. I don't want to change the definition of the mission of the church, but I more want us to begin to redefine in our mind what it means when we hear that mission. Not to think them, and not even to think us as a church, but to think me, my mission. Like the movie says, this is your mission should you choose to accept it. And I want us to look together at what does it mean to redefine that mission as a very individual, important assignment for us So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you three points. I'm going to unpack each one of those three points. Then we're going to pray, and then we're going to go eat lunch. Can you guys give me about 90 minutes? About 22 minutes, really. Can you give me about 22 minutes? (laughs) All right, let's pray together, and we'll get started. Father, we give this time to you. Lord, I am just your servant. I pray that any agenda that I have other than Jesus Christ and him glorified that you would kill right now. I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight and that your words would come from you through me in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to talk to you about three things because I want us to redefine the mission. I want us to look at what it looks like if we could start owning the mission. So I want to look at our problem with the mission. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. That's number one. Our problem with the mission and the way we're going to unpack that is this. Why are we not fully owning the mission? Why are we not personally owning the mission of the church? So we're going to look at that. We're going to look at our priority of the mission. We're going to ask ourselves this question. What does the mission of the church, what does our very important assignment, what priority does that take in our lives? What priority are we placing on that? We're going to unpack that together. And then lastly, we're going to look at our plan for the mission. If we believe that the mission is ours, then instead of just telling you what we're not doing, I'm going to give you a plan. And we're going to look at all of those three things together. So number one, if you're taking notes, our problem with the mission. Number one is our problem with the mission. And let me ask you this. Why are we not individually owning the mission of the church? The very mission of the church that Jesus left us here with to make disciples of every nation. Why are we not personally owning that? Many of you guys would say, I didn't know we weren't owning it. And that is one of our points today. I want to talk to you about two reasons why I really believe that we're not owning it. And the number one reason, I think, is ignorance. And I'm not coming down on you because I'm putting myself in this boat too. But ignorance, just not knowing how big the problem really is. You know, in preparing for this sermon, I came upon some amazing stats. I want to share some with you today. Did you know that as 2015 closed, there were an estimated 7.125 billion people living on earth? 7.125 billion people. Less than 31% of those people, around 2.2 billion, even claim to be Christians. And when I say Christians, I'm talking about Christians in a very wide definition of the term. Because out of those 2 billion people that claim to be Christian, more than 63% of those people do one of two things. They either place a book or teaching equal to or greater than the Bible, or they place a person equal to or greater than Jesus. So what we have is, once you factor all of those people who aren't Bible-believing Christ followers, you have an estimated 814 million people, or about 
4% of the world. There is no possible way that with the power that the organized capital C church has across this world, that 96% of the world should be dying and on their way to hell without the gospel of Jesus. If we are truly owning the mission individually. You know, those statistics sound embarrassing, discouraging, that in this year, 2016, that's still 96% of the earth it doesn't have the gospel. But it shouldn't surprise us. You know, it didn't surprise the Lord. As a matter of fact, on a careful examination of the scripture and following Jesus' words, he knew how great the need was. Look together in scriptures like Luke chapter 10, verse 22, where Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What did he mean when he said harvest? The people needing to be harvested for the gospel. He knew quite well that most of the world was unsaved. Or in scriptures like Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, where Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, because the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and many those are who enter by it. You see, Jesus knew. I love in 1 Thessalonians when the Apostle Paul passionately teaches his people, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, just like those that have no hope. And Jesus has not called us to be ignorant of the problem that there is a world out there who is lost and dying and on their way to hell. And it's us that have been commissioned as God's mouthpiece to take it. But we don't know how great the need is or... We just don't care. Either we don't know how great the need is or we don't care. And that brings me to my second reason that I believe that we're not owning the mission, and that is apathy. If you're taking notes, number one is ignorance. Number two is apathy. We live in an apathetic culture. The culture of teenagers today and young adults, and I'm the parent of two older teenagers, young adults, I've never seen a generation of more apathetic people. And we ourselves, as their parents, are apathetic. We have this semi-in, semi-out view of the gospel. We're living in this culture of uninspired Christians where the world is, the, the, the believers, the capital C Church, are not inspired to individually accept the calling as an assignment. It's interesting that in Matthew chapter 4, you remember when Jesus was calling his first disciples? And he walked into the Galilee region, and he walked up to the Sea of Galilee, and he noticed Peter and Andrew there casting their nets, and he said to those fishermen, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I want you to hear the absolution in that statement. Jesus made an absolute statement, and he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. There was no question Ladies and gentlemen, do you believe that still today? Do you believe that if we're following Christ, that if we'll follow him, he will make us fishers of men? I want to ask you a harrowing question. And my intent is not to come down on you. My intent is to wake us up as a church. If Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, if we are not being made fishers of men, doesn't that mean that we're not truly following Jesus? If Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, let me ask you, today are you being made into a fishers of men? If not, are you truly following Jesus? 
We live in this culture of apathy where we read 60 to 63% of Jesus' words is focused on going and things outside of the church, but about 80% of our time, we, uh, Christ's time, we spend on things inside the four walls of the church. Why have we become so apathetic? Truly, the last thing that Jesus told us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right before he went back to be with his father, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, not only here in Jerusalem, but also in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then he was taken up. The very last thing he said, church, was I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to go and make disciples. But yet we remain apathetic. I'm reminded of a story of a father who left on a business trip. And I can relate to this because I often leave my families on business trips. I'm actually on a trip right now, and I've just left my family. But this father had two teenage kids, and he was going to leave for about two weeks. And he said, kids, our yards look terrible. I'm about to go on this business trip, and outside this house, I want you guys to get this thing cleaned up while I'm gone. I have left you a written list of things that I want you to do. I've got it categorized from A to Z. It's very clear. When I get back from this mission trip, my special assignment for you is to have these things outside the house done and looking great. Yes, sir. Sounds great, they said, and dad took off. Two weeks go by, and dad gets home, flies in, gets his car, drives home, and as soon as he comes around the corner, as soon as he looks at the house, he can tell nothing got done. But interestingly enough, he walks inside the house to awaiting arms of the kids. Dad! You're home. You made it. You won't believe what we've done. You see, we took your list that you gave us, and we memorized it. We even met about it daily while you were gone, and we talked about it a lot. Johnny here even translated into Greek, and we, and, and we learned even some of the words in Greek. But he looked at them with broken eyes, and he said, but guys, you talked about it a lot. You broke it down, you made slides of it, but nothing outside the house got done. Guys, that's us. Jesus Christ stood in that room and he said, you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. And he went on a trip to go and prepare a place for us and we read about it, we talk about it, we make PowerPoint slides about it, we have small groups about it. But many times we don't do it. We stay apathetic to it. And sometimes we have really thought that the mission of the church is for the church, for the staff. But we remain apathetic to the fact that it would affect us in our personal life. So I think our problem with the mission comes from apathy. So what do we do? What kind of priority should we place on the mission? Number two, we're going to talk about the priority. We're going to unpack this for us. Number two is the priority on the mission. Where does the special assignment that Jesus has given us rank as we prioritize our lives? I'm an iPhone person. If you get out your iPhone and you look in your calendar, or maybe those of you that raised your hand that can remember 1965, your paper calendar with the pen, if you look at your calendar what priority does your mission of the church 
have in your daily life? How are we prioritizing that in our time? If I look at your checkbook register, for those of you who don't remember 1965, a checkbook register is a piece of paper where you keep a note of what you've spent on your debit card. If you look in that, what priorities does the mission of the church play in your finances or your talent? If I look at the gifts and abilities that God has given you innately to share the gospel, what priority is the mission of the church playing in your talents? A big way to tell how you prioritize is to look at how it affects your daily life. And let me assure you of something. Listen to me. It looks funny to your non-believing friends and your non-believing co-workers and your non-believing family when you tell them that you're a Christ follower, but your life and priorities don't look any different than theirs. It looks really funny to the outside world. It's as if we're telling them we've had this experience, but yet there's no difference in our daily lives. Let me give you an example. If I walked in the doors just one minute before I was supposed to preach today, and I, I came in a huff, and I came up on the platform, and Pastor John said, man, Nathan, you've known about this for months. Where have you been? And I said, funny story about that, actually. I was out here on the 405 driving a rental car, and I had a flat tire. I got out to change the tire, and one of the lug nuts rolled out into the 405. I ran out to get it, and the craziest thing happened. An 18-wheeler ran over me with all 18 wheels and just flattened me. So I'm sorry, I'm a little bit late. John would look at me, and he would assess the way that I'm talking, the way that I'm walking, the way that I'm dressed, the way that I'm carrying myself, and he would only be able to come to two logical conclusions. One, I'm crazy. I think something has happened that, I, that hasn't happened, obviously. Or two, I'm lying. I've made this story up, and I'm trying to cover myself. Correct? Guys, listen to me. It is the exact same thing we do to our unbelieving friends and family when we tell them we've had this amazing experience with this 80-ton God who by the same power that conquered the grave saved our soul through his amazing grace, yet our lives look no different than theirs. They look at the way we're walking. They look at the way we're talking. They look at the way that we prioritize our time and our money, and they only have one of two conclusions to make. Either we're crazy And we think that we've had an experience that we haven't, or we're lying to them. And this God thing really isn't true. Because if it was, wouldn't our priorities look different? Guys, where have we lost the priority on the mission of the church? Upon careful examination of the scripture, it's clear what the priority should be in three areas. For our time, Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 33 says this. Don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? In other words, anxious about if you're going to make enough money. For the Gentiles, or the unbelievers, seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, And all of these things will be added unto you as well. The Bible is clear that the priority of our time, our first priority, should be on our special mission, the mission of making disciples. Now, am I suggesting that every single one of you pack up all your stuff, get a moving van, and move to Mexico and become a full-time missionary? 
Yes. No, I'm not asking you to do that. But what would it look like if you began to just a little bit raise the priority level that you have in the short 70, 80 years that God has given you on this earth to make the mission of the church a little bit more of a priority in your time? The, God, the Bible teaches that the gospel needs to take first place in the priorities of our time, not 83rd place as it is in so many of our lives. In the area of finances, yes, the missionary is going to talk about finances, okay? We're not going to take an offering. Don't guard your wallets. But the area of finances is very important because Jesus understood the link between our pocketbooks and our hearts. That's why he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think people do sports betting? Why do you think people do sports betting? Have you ever heard the term... Hey, man, let's make it interesting. You ever heard that term, let's make it interesting? You see, people do sports betting because they are operating under the biblical principle that where your wallet goes, there goes your heart. You want to be interested in the mission of the church? Do you want to raise the priority of your finances to take first place for the mission? Invest in it. Because where your money goes, your heart will follow. Jesus understood it. The betters understand it. But the Bible is clear in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19, 20, and 21. It says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves can break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And it goes on to say, Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Bible is clear that financially, our priority should be the mission of the church. You would be so embarrassed, and I would be so embarrassed, if there was an inquisition into our finances to find out where the mission of the church is prioritized in our lives. My goal here is for us to just move it up one place. One place. Now, looking at the area of our talents and our abilities, the Bible teaches that the gospel should take first priority in our talent and our ability. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said clearly, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And there's that word again. Disciples, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything that I've commanded you to do. In other words, making disciples. And there we find the assignment again to own making disciples, to use the talent, to use the time and to use the treasure or the finances that God has entrusted us with as first priority on the kingdom of God. The Bible teaches that all three of the areas should be the priority in our talent. I think it's interesting that the scripture talks so much about the outside world, but we focus so much of our time, talent, and treasure on the inside world. I think we get so caught up with what's going on inside the four walls of the church that we actually forget about our assignment. Let me ask you another harrowing question. My goal in this is not to down you. My goal is not to convict you. My goal is to challenge you. I want to ask you this question. Who do we think we are to trust God wholly and completely for our salvation, but yet we get to sit back and dictate the terms of our obedience? How arrogant do we have to be to trust God's plan for our salvation 
but we get to dictate the plan for our obedience. You see, the same God that offered his grace and mercy for salvation is the same God who then said, and you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes on you and you will be my witnesses. That, friends, should be our priority. Where has the priority on the mission gone? So we've looked at our problem with the mission. I believe we've unpacked the priority of the mission. Now I want to talk about a plan. I want to talk about a plan because I don't believe in giving a negative without a positive. I'm a logistical person, and if you're with me and you believe that we have to start owning the mission as our responsibility, what is our plan going to be? What is our plan going to be? Well, I'm glad you asked me that question. Thank you. Because I have, I've brought the answer here on this piece of paper. And if you'll give me the grace, I want to offer you two things that should be our plan for owning this mission. Okay, you ready? Number one, I think we need to start reaching out through the verbal proclamation of the gospel. Reaching out through the verbal proclamation of the gospel. Now, that is a long way to say. I'm about to tell you how we say it in South Alabama in layman's terms. Opening our mouths. Opening our mouths. The number one thing we're going to have to do if we start truly believing and owning the mission of the church as our special assignment is to open our mouth. Look what the scripture says. In Romans chapter 10, it says this in verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching and that word preaching comes from an old greek word and it means opening up your mouth how can they hear if we don't open up our mouths and it goes on to say in verse 17 so faith faith is believing in something that you don't see hebrews 11 1 so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of god so we're talking about opening up our mouths but you say i can't do that I cannot, embarrassingly enough, go and open up my mouth and pound people with the gospel. I cannot be that person that goes and preaches. I cannot be that person that opens up my mouth and speaks in public. May I please tell you of the most powerful evangelistic tool that every single one of you has been given and no one can take it away. It's your story. See, you have been the eyewitness to the greatest change in history, and that was the change of your heart from darkness to light. That is not a story you heard. The person that you're telling your story does not have to believe the Bible to believe that because you are the eyewitness, and you have that story. And if you can tell somebody what Jesus did for you, that is, my friends, opening up your mouth for the gospel. Some of us say, I can't do that. I can't open up my mouth. You can open up your mouths. You do it every day. But if you would picture a courtroom, I believe that a lot of us are placing ourselves in the wrong seat in the courtroom. You see, we're getting on Facebook, and we're getting on Instagram, and we're getting on Twitter, and we've placed ourselves in judgment. We've placed ourselves in the judge's seat, and we're busy telling the world how wrong they are. 
We're busy passing judgment on how wrong the world is. But Jesus is calling us to the witness stand. You hear that word witness? You've been an eyewitness and he is asking you to testify what God has done in your life and to be a witness and stop telling the world how wrong they are and start telling the world how right he is. Our call is to be the witness, not the judge. And we can open up our mouth and we must open up our mouths. Secondly, not only do we need to reach out through the verbal proclamation of the, of the gospel, but we need to begin to reach out through actions of sacrificial love. Write that down. Actions of sacrificial love. You've heard the terminology, being the hands and feet of Jesus. God in his celestial plan, when he made his plan to reach the lost through, through love and through the verbal proclamation, his idea to do that was the church. His idea to do that was you. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 19 says this. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods, do we have the world's good today, Agora? And sees his brother or sister in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk but in action and in truth. I love that word deed in, in the ESV version of the Bible. It comes from a Greek word ergo, which means our behaviors, our actions. In Alabama, we call it work, in work. You see, we not only need to look for opportunities to open our mouths with a verbal proclamation of the gospel to tell people our story, we need to look for opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Now, I told you at the beginning of this talk that I did not come here to preach the gospel of Hugo, but what an amazing opportunity you guys have as a church that your leadership has seen fit to take a group of people who will stand up and be counted and say, count my family in. Maybe instead of going to Disneyland twice this year, maybe instead of going to the beach 15th time this year, we're going to take a few dollars, and we're going to take our family, and we're going to show them what it means to own the mission of the church in Mexico. What an amazing leadership that your leadership has said, count us in, we're in, we're going to go, and we're going to demonstrate Christ's love. I love in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, where it says, but God demonstrated his love for us in this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When is the last time you had the opportunity to stand with no pressure, and look at somebody in the eye, having just spent a week pouring your heart out through blood, sweat, and tears, to look at them and say, you know why we did this for you? Not of anything you deserve, but just because while I was still sinning, Christ died for me. And the love that he shed when I didn't deserve it is the same love that I want to give you today. Take this gift as a demonstration of Christ's love for you. When is the last time you had the opportunity to do that? Your leadership has seen the mission. They have decided to teach you that the mission is yours should you choose to accept it. And they've partnered with Hugo as a great opportunity to do that. It's not the only opportunity, but it is an opportunity. James chapter 1, verse 22 says this. And we've looked at our problem with the mission. We've looked at our priorities on the mission 
We've looked at a plan for the mission, but James says this, do not be only a hearer of the word, and in doing that, deceive yourself. Be a doer as well. Guys, don't just hear what me and your leadership is saying. It's written right on the front of your church. Be a doer as well. The the mission cannot stop here in the four walls. It's got to go out. Let me end with this. In 1957, the Milwaukee Braves were playing the New York Yankees in the World Series. And the New York Yankees had a hilarious catcher named Yogi Berra. He's been credited with some of the funniest lines in baseball history. But he was a real heckler. And he loved to really get on the batters as they'd come to bat. Well, the Yankees were losing, and he really wanted the Milwaukee Braves to get out. And this incredible hitter, you may have heard of him, named Hank Aaron, came to bat during game six. And after the first strike and after the second strike, Yogi Berra looked at Hank Aaron and he said, Hey, Hank, you've got your bat turned around wrong. You've got the the reading where the pitcher can see it, and it's supposed to be where you can see it. Well, Hank Aaron didn't bat an eye. He didn't even look at his bat. He just stepped back in the box, and on the next pitch, he hit the ball about 500 feet over the left field wall. And he went around first base, and he went around second base, and he went around third base, and he came back. And when he got back to home, he looked at Yogi Berra, and he said, You know what your problem is, Yogi? I didn't come here to read. My job is not to read. My job is to hit. And that's exactly what he intended on doing. Guys, our job is not to come in here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and be readers of the world word. Our job is to do what it says. Count me in. I'm in. And I'm just asking you, won't you go with us? Won't you be counted among the people that said, you know what? The mission of the church, I choose to accept it. Won't you be counted this Sunday? Let's pray together. Oh, Father, don't let your words fall on deaf ears. Lord, the message that you've given me today lines up so perfectly with what Agora is about. Lord, allow us to believe that the mission of the church is not for our mothers and fathers and small group leaders and pastor, but it's for us our family. Allow us as fathers to lead our family in the mission. Allow us as mothers to encourage our family in the mission of discipleship. Lord, I have done what you've asked me to do. God, I pray that that there's not a sense of condemnation, but a sense of conviction, and that many would stand and be counted for your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that we've gathered here today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. What a, what a great message, right? As we start out 2016, you know, what Nathan has really done is crystallize for us what we dream to do, want to do, hope to do, and will do in 2016. We do want to encounter God like we have in worship. We do want to equip you for ministry, but we want to extend God's love to the world. I've been going to Mexico for 37 years with this organization. I was 22 the very first time I went there. And if you're being called today to want to help in that mission, that'd be awesome. But whether you can go to Mexico isn't as important as are you willing to go across the street to your neighbor, to your coworker, 
to the people that seem so far from God that they would never entertain the gospel message because God is greater, is He not? He's the God of the impossible. He's the one who will help us extend God's love to encounter Him in a personal way and then to be equipped to go out to share the love of God with those who need Jesus. Amen? Hey, this is a great morning. Let me just close us by saying, to Him who is able to keep you from falling, to the only wise God, be glory and power and dominion and majesty now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you.